Matthew chapter 6, we are in a series that is called The Good Life. And I'm going to read from verse 19, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy. Sounds like the southern version, doesn't it? And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is the good life? That's what I want to talk about today. God help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We recently bought this game. Who has ever played this game before? Our kids were in the mood for a little something, something, and we went down and got a hold of this game. And all I could tell you is something strange happens to children when you put this in their hands. When you put hundreds and five hundreds in the hands of a mother, I'm sorry, of children, when you put this in the hands of, <laughs> of juveniles, it could kind of bring out the crazy in people. If you've ever seen someone pound the table that the game was on and the houses and hotels jumped and the dollars slid and you didn't realize that someone might have been sliding some money into their stashes, you'd... It's really odd how the crazy comes out. And of course, the object of Monopoly is whoever ends up with the most stuff wins. By the end of the game, whoever has accumulated the most properties and houses and hotels and 500s and hundreds, and whoever has driven the others off the board, that is the one who wins. The name of the game is Accumulation. It's not very different from what we might call the American dream. We've seen the bumper stickers that say whoever dies with the most toys wins. And yet our experience causes us to question the wisdom of our America. As we've heard the stories of the men and women who have accumulated all sorts of wealth and it has not given them what they wanted... Because the question really is, what is the good life? There was an American company a little while back that went to another country to go pay people some money to be able to provide their goods, and they could produce them cheaper in this third world country, and so they wanted to be able to pay a smaller rate, and so they did. And much to their surprise and much to their frustration, the workers, they took the money, and after about three months, they quit. And they're like, wait, wait, why is everybody quitting? They're like, well, we don't need your money anymore. Like, what do you mean you don't need? Like, we got enough money to live for the rest of the year. They're like, no, 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 but you want to keep on making money. Like, why would we keep on making money when we have everything we need? And they're like, no, you don't have everything you need. And like, no, we do. And they're like, no, you really don't. They're like, no, we do. And so they went back and they tried to brainstorm and they finally came up with an idea, which was, hey, it works in America. Maybe it's going to work here. They brought advertisements and pictures of people that were living the good life. And they showed them how they could live the good life if they had all this other stuff that they don't yet have. If they could somehow stir up in them a desire for more stuff, 
that that would do it. And sure enough, as they gave them these advertisements and they gave them little tastes of the good life, the, the good old American dream, people started coming back to work because they realized they did need to work as much as they did if they were going to be able to live the good life after all. We're reading from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to take me two weeks to cover really about two or three paragraphs here. But Jesus is describing what is actually the good life. Jesus is actually, and it's, there's really double entendre going on here in this message. It's a series where we're going to talk about possessions and money and eternity and our stuff. And yet when we say the good life, that sort of conjures up that sort of prosperity, gospel, you know, American dream kind of stuff. And yet Jesus talks about the good life and says it's maybe not what you think it is. The good life might not be what your culture has told you that it was. We know that you could be a father that moves up the ladder in your career, but if you move up the ladder and you've got a career but you don't get your kids, is it really the good life? Is it really the good life if a mother becomes highly successful but she loses her marriage, if a spouse loses their marriage? Is that the good life? Is it the good life when a friend makes moves and closes deals but runs over people in the process and loses his friendships? Is it really the good life if you've lost, lost your friendships? Is it the good life if on the outside your life seems to have everything going for it, but on the inside there are secret addictions that your children don't know about, that your spouse doesn't know about, that your friends don't know about? Is it the good life if the shell looks amazing but inside, and this is where Jesus would use the word the heart, and the Sermon on the Mountain and the teachings of Jesus, he was always going back to a theme that was introduced really in, in the Shema when it says, you shall love the Lord with all of your heart. In the book of Proverbs, it says, guard your heart for out of it flow all the issues of life. In systems thinking, we'd call this the upstream. If someone's getting sick, it's not just the fact that, oh man, what's the matter? They got a bad immune system. If you've been living in Flint, Michigan and the, and the water is bad, the answer is you got to do something about the, what's happening upstream. The question is always, what's upstream? What's the, what's the root? Because the root is different than the fruits. And when all you do is deal with the fruits and you never get to the roots, you'll never get to the bottom of it. And what Jesus is saying is that there's something about the, the root, which is the heart. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. In the same Sermon on the Mount, he would say, when someone looks lustfully at someone else, they might not have done it physically, but in their hearts, they've already committed adultery. The heart is the upstream. The heart is what he's interested in. Here, this is the, really the, the start of this series and the beginning of this message today. You can only have a good life with a good heart. But your heart always follows your money. Jesus says, where your, I don't want you storing up treasure on earth, but he says, where your treasure is, there your heart, future tense, will be. You can only have a good life with a good heart, and your heart always, always, always follows your visa, follows your bank account, follows your treasure, follows your Amazon account. Your heart will. You can't get around it. You didn't even care about Bitcoin. And you buy $100 worth of Bitcoin on Robinhood, and all the next thing you know, you're scrolling through, hey, what's, you're distracted with $100 of Bitcoin. You don't even care about Google. And the next thing you know, you, you invested in Google. Now you're checking on Google. And, and it's, you, you don't even care about youth soccer leagues, but you invested money in them and, and something pops up in the newspaper and, and you start checking on the youth soccer leagues. 
You can only have a good life with a good heart, and your heart always, 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 always follows your money. At least that's what Jesus said, and I'm going with Jesus. So how do we work on our heart? Number one, Jesus says right here, do not store up treasure on earth. Everyone say don't. Do not store up treasure on earth. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying you cannot have a bank account. He's not saying you cannot have a retirement account. So rest easy. He's not saying that, that you cannot have uh, clothes at your house right now. Whatever he means, he's not meaning that. Let me read to you from the message translation of the same passage. In the message it says this, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. Check this out. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Where do you most want to be? Hawaii. Where do you most want to be? In a Tesla. Where do you most want to be? On vacation. Where do you most want? I cannot wait for the swamp to be filled with gator fame. Where do you most want to be? I bet your treasure would prove it. So I was watching a show this week. I was reading this in, in the message where it says, don't hoard treasures. And I've heard people talk about the show, The Hoarders. I had never seen the show until this week. Who has seen Hoarders? So I'm watching the show, and the idea is there are these people that they cannot get rid of things. They cannot unload things. They just can't seem to let them go. And, they will, and, and literally what they say when, in, in the children or their family or their friends try to do what they call an intervention. Like, we need to do an intervention. Like, you've got to, like you, someone needs to go to the bathroom. You, like, you have to, like, climb Mount Everest to go to the bathroom because you can't get to the bathroom from piles of stuff. And they would say words like, I can't get rid of it. Why not? Well, someone gave it to me, and I, I cherish it. They would say things like, I treasure it. Or as Gollum would say, my precious. They would say these things about things and stuff, and they hoard these things. I read this week, 19 million Americans suffer from an addiction to some form of hoarding of things. Like there's a, there's a disorder, like a hoarding disorder that people have. And what Jesus says is don't hoard stuff on earth. He mentions moths because moths, what they do is moths destroy clothes. Now in Jesus' day, they weren't, they, they weren't, like, this is not how you did your 401k. Some people's retirement account was actually in clothes. Like, clothing was a sign of wealth. Clothing was a sign of status. In a, in a world where someone might only have one or two or three tunics, or you've only got a few outfits, and you, like, to have four outfits? Wow. Five? Incredible. Seven? Lord have mercy. Y'all? We died and gone to heaven, is what they'd say. So you didn't have, so he's like, wait, wait, don't, you don't want to store up, tre like, your treasures of clothes? Like, what's going to happen is you're going to have clothes that sit there, and when they do, moths come in, and they, moths will go and lay eggs in clothing, and the larva goes and creates holes, and he's like, don't do it. You're going to be crushed when you realize 
that security you're looking for, that security of your clothing is, it's, it's not secure at all, you know, or, or some things rust, some things don't get moth-eaten, they get rusted, and, they, and they're, oh, it's something that would have been functioning, now it's not functioning because it's, it's rusted, or worse, thieves come in there. They've got these thieves that have come in, and he says, don't do, see, we, we struggle to believe this. When Jesus is talking about money, we struggle when we hear this business about like watch out. And, and t- even talking about money, there's like a, a weirdness, of course, in preacher circles, but it's not just preaching. It's not just church. It's weird how we're comfortable talking about a lot of things. Even in Christian circles, like people do accountability. Like they'll say things like, yo, you've been looking at porn. Yo, you've been looking at stuff you shouldn't look at. Hey, man, you've been honest at work. Hey, we will say things like this. I've almost never heard anybody in an accountability session say something like, yo, it sure seems like greed is a struggle for you. How are you doing with greed? I've personally never had anybody ever... Con- I've, I'm, I'm a pastor. I've had people come confess a lot of things to me. I can tell you one sin I've never had anyone confess to me. Mike, I'm so greedy. Because no one ever... I, I guess... Well, I really want to give it the benefit of the doubt. Like, if you're committing adultery, you'd be like, Oh my gosh! I'm not married to you. I did it. It's me. You kind of know when you commit adultery. How do you know when you're like, oh my gosh, I did it. I clicked on Amazon one too many times. (laughs) It's not like you're like, snap, who is this next to me? We don't do that. We just have piles of stuff. We're like, wait, how did all this stuff get here? And yet Jesus says, be on guard. Be on guard. About, it, it's, it's weird, like it, Jesus speaks about money and possessions more than anything else, more than hell, heaven, telling the truth, adultery, sexual morality. And yet, in, even in Christian circles, it's kind of like, it's sort of like when I've gone, like, like you can tell when you've gone like off limits. With some, when something has been deified, you can't speak against it. Even if, if I even suggested right now, like, yo, all of you that love capitalism so much, be on guard about it. Like, whoa, whoa, did you, did you just say capitalism in a certain, whoa, whoa, Mike, back down, back down. Now, because it's kind of like if, you know, like, go talk about someone's kids. You're going to see a mama bear rise up. Go to the Middle East, talk about Muhammad. You're going to see a Muslim rise up. And go to America. And see someone talk about this stuff? (laughs) You're going to see someone rise up. So I'm smiling as I talk right now. (laughs) Because I'm your friend. And Jesus said more about money than any of us seem to do. And he says, listen, your heart is going to follow your money. Why should you not lay up treasures on earth? Is it because it's a sin, according to Jesus? No, it's because it's stupid, according to Jesus. It won't last. It won't last. I ordered something online this week that didn't get here. I, I was just really fascinated with, I was reading about the Confederacy. And so you, imagine you're in the South during the Civil War, and there's Confederate money. They issued their own money. You've got Confederate money. And so I ordered some Confederate money. I just wanted to have some of this stuff. Imagine you're in the South and, and, and you've got insider information that the North, thankfully, is going to win the war. And so when you do this, but let's say you've got a bunch of Confederate money. If you're smart, knowing that in a year from now, this Confederate money will be useless and worthless, what's the smartest thing you could do with your Confederate money? 
Someone said, buy a bunch of stuff. No, no, that's not what I was going. What's the, what's the smartest thing you could do with your Confederate money? Trade it for what? For American dollars. I have in my house a coin that is from the 1800s that I had that with me, on me one point, and I was like at public, so, hey, sir, we still take that. We will actually take your 1858 silver dollar. It's still, it, it, it could still be, they're like, I'd be happy to take that from you. I'm like, I'm not getting rid of the silver dollar, right? Because this currency, the U.S. currency has, it's lived on. The Confederate com- currency is now dead. Here, this is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that earth's money immediately becomes worthless the moment you die or the moment that Jesus comes back. And you've got insider information, trading information. If I were you, I would trade in your monopoly money for the real stuff. I would trade in your confederate money for the real stuff. I would trade in your earth treasures for the real stuff. Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth because it will not last. That's number one. Number two, do store up treasure in heaven. I know a preacher that he had the opportunity to invest in Amazon when Amazon first went public. When he, he could, and his brother told him, like, hey, why don't you invest like a thousand dollars? I'm telling you, this is going to take off. And he invested something less than a thousand. And as soon as it doubled, he took his money out. So like, let's say 500 became a thousand. What he, when I heard him preaching about this, he'd made the statement that if he would have put in the thousand, like his brother said, he would right now be a multimillionaire based on what's happened with Amazon stock. He didn't have the ins- Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the inside information that you are, as it says in the message translation, don't hoard treasure down here, stockpile treasure in heaven. Well, well how do you do such a thing? Well, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, command people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And isn't it true? We watch people living lives and it's like, man, they are living, but it's not truly life. We've been to a theme park and they're not enjoying it or someone's on vacation and they're not enjoying it or, or they're, living, they're, they're living it up, but they're not, it's not the true life. And Jesus says, show them and tell them to be generous, do good deeds, be willing to share, and by doing so, they will treasure up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, when this confederacy we call earth loses all of its power, when the union we call heaven comes in to live on forever, when that takes place, Jesus says, you now have every day of your life is an opportunity to trade this stuff in for the stockpile treasures of heaven that will last forever. Mike, what does that mean? That means it's worth thinking through what Jesus says and believing. And I, I got to be honest, I don't just want to preach right now. I'm praying God's going to do something today. I, Jesus, move in our midst. I know that all, everything is against us. That the, the sway of, this, of American culture. Friends, if you're wondering what the sway of American culture is, it's this. This, this is this. You're like, the, the problem with America is... If you don't have at the bottom of your concerns over our culture, stuff, materialism, possessions, greed, you have misidentified root problems. Jesus said, the love of Paul said, the scripture says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He never said that about sexual immorality. He never said, 
homosexuality, sexual morality. He never said abortion is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, guys, i got to tell you, I'm 100% pro-life. Let no one wonder on that. What I'm telling you is, if you think the problem in in our souls is not somehow related to what Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The good life demands a good heart, and your heart always follows your money. Always. Don't stockpile treasure on earth. Do stockpile treasure in heaven. So this week I was reading this this article that was written by a guy. They had taken a trip to Cairo, Egypt. And when they went to Egypt, they, they went to the Cairo Museum and they saw King Tut's tomb. So put that picture up there. King Tut's tomb and had all of this stuff. I mean, literally in King Tut's tomb, this was a, this was a, a pharaoh, a young teenage pharaoh that died, was mummified. And of course, he believed that whatever he, he could be buried with his stuff and that whatever he was buried with, he would be able to take it with, that that stuff would be with him. So in Tut's tomb... There were literally tons and tons of gold and silver and stones and gems and all kinds of stuff that was buried with him because he believed he would get to go and enjoy it when he left. Now, much to his surprise, but maybe no one else's surprise, when they found this tomb, they found all this stuff, and it was just ornate and incredible and amazing. This group of people went to... Cairo, when they were there, they had someone suggest to them that they go visit something else while they were there, and it was the tomb of a man named William Borden. Would you put his grave up there for me? William Borden was the son of a very wealthy family and the, the inheritor of the Borden, uh, much of the Borden wealth, Borden milk. And he fell in love with Jesus, and his highest treasure was not found in this world. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a job, and there's nothing wrong with having a a business, anything like that, but he felt called to the mission field, and he, was, he gave his life for the mission field, and as God was working on his heart, this is worthy of a sermon in and of itself, and he wants to go preach this sermon, he had these three words that he wrote down in his journal. At one point, he wrote in his journal, no retreats, when he said, I'm not going back. I have decided to follow Jesus. He's my highest treasure. He gets all that I am. No retreats, and he, and he gives Jesus everything, takes his fortune, and begins to spend it for the sake of the mission field and for the cause of Christ around the world. And at one point, he, he had no more money left. He had spent all of his money, and he writes in his journal, no reserves. Imagine there's some rich guy that has literally sold everything, and he's lost. I mean, it, it's, it's been forsaken for this. No retreats, no reserves. And as any of you that know his story, in his mid-20s, giving his life for the gospel, he contracted a, a sickness, and he died very young, flaming for Jesus, but he died. And right before he died, as a sick, young missionary, he wrote these words, no regrets, no retreats, no reserves, no regrets. Don't you want to live in a way when you die, you look back, you're like, I got no regrets. Is that not the good life? Is the good life, I I don't know anyone's going to say, I wish I bought more clothes. I wish I would have traded my cars in quicker and bought newer cars. I wish I would have spent more money on myself. Do you think anyone's going to say that? So I'm reading this thing this week, this, this group, and they had written this letter. They said, hey, thank you so much for helping us find the grave of William Borden. They had, we just visited the the tomb of King Tut in the morning at the 
at the museum, and then we went to Borden's tomb in the afternoon. But when we came to his tomb, what a contrast. You walk down this not-so-great road, and you come into this very simple graveyard for some Christians. He says, and yet, that trip was the highlight, that visit was the highlight of our trip. As we sat around and read his tombstone, which I believe it just says something about only what's done for Christ, something like that. He said, we sang a song together and we said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And as we sang, we could not hold the tears back as we worshiped the God of William Borden and the Savior and treasure of our hearts. Why would he live like that? And the answer is he had come to believe that there is a place called heaven that is real, that there is a realm that's called heaven that is real, that there is a reality called heaven that is real. And if your view of heaven is sitting with a harp and you're strumming in a bored fashion, then your eyes need to be awakened because heaven is so much better than you can possibly imagine. Jesus' desire was that our greatest longing would be to be with him. Like when I'm away sometimes, my heart starts to get excited when I get off a plane and I'm driving back to my house. I love the sound of driving into my house and I've pulled in and my kids can hear me and I hear this, the pitter-patter of my children's feet running to their daddy to come home. There's no greater treasure than home. The problem is, We've misidentified what home is. We keep on looking, and Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Some of you have built houses that took a year or 18 months to build, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Jesus has been working on your eternal home for 2,000 years. Can you imagine all the longings you have to finally be secure, to finally be safe, to finally have peace, to finally have joy, to finally have gladness, to finally be known, to finally not be. Can you imagine having conversations where no one's going to misunderstand you anymore? Can you imagine going places where you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you or what's going to happen to your kids, what's going to happen to your children, what's going to happen to your friends? See, if your view of heaven is boring and dull, it's because your eyes have grown dull and old. And you need to wake up, Peter Pan, and become a child again. Because something in us is supposed to be longing, according to Romans chapter 8. Something should be groaning in us. Even my task today is not, I mean, and I get, I get it, man. I study preaching. They're like, hey, man, if you, want to pre if you want people to come to your church, you need to preach in very practical ways and things that apply to their life in the next 24 hours. I want to say something today that applies to your life 10,000 years from now. 
I want us to look back. I've been begging God this week. I'm like, God, do something even in this message right now that something would happen to our eyes that we would see. Be like, good Lord, there is a heaven that's waiting and I've got the chance to invest in that. I want to tell some 16 and 17-year-olds right now, you can start investing in heaven now. I hear Dave Ramsey. I hear financial analysts that will tell you, listen, man, start investing. Start putting away for retirement at a young age because it's exponential. And if you only saw the exponential curve, don't wait till you're in your 50s. Don't wait till you're in your 40s. Start in your 20s. Let me say it. Some of you middle schoolers, start investing in heaven now. Why? Because Jesus said, let me me back up. I probably missed a step here. If your heart's not longing for heaven, you probably need to use your treasure to help it get there because Jesus said your heart will always follow your treasure. That's what Jesus said. We read there in 1 Timothy when he says, tell them, do good, share, be generous, and so store up for yourselves. In other words, you will be putting treasure. Your enemy does you wrong, you don't do your enemy wrong, and you decide to do them good instead, you're storing up treasure in heaven, and wherever your treasure goes, that's where your heart's going to be. I'm telling you, your heart, it's going to start to burn. It's going to start to burn for him. You're going to be like, well, God, I, heaven, wait, what is, what is heaven? Is it a place to strum a gold heart? No. Like, heaven is, heaven, well, there's streets of gold. And, I, and of course, we, all of us materialists love to, oh, streets of gold. You need a little money. You go down, I'll just chip off some of the gold in heaven. Okay, I get all that. But heaven is the place where the, the joy is unspeakable, and literally it's, it's full of glory. Heaven is, is home. Heaven is the place of joy. Heaven is the place of peace. Heaven is the place where the scripture says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Heaven is a place that there's a river and there are streams that I don't know how it happens. Like you just get around the streams and you start to get glad. That's a pretty good metaphor of what treasure is. Treasure is where you look to find your gladness. If you think your gladness is coming from Hawaii, your heart is set on Hawaii and your treasure will go to Hawaii. If your heart is set on a te- oh a Tesla with man that would, oh an Acura oh a house oh a good career oh that whatever it is that you think would make your heart glad, that is where your treasure will go. That is where you will be longing and groaning and moving toward. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, it's not just that it's sin to be materialistic. It's stupid to be materialistic because there is a way that you will sometimes have money in your pocket and you give your money away to a poor person. You see someone, you're like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm giving all my money away right now and I'm going to have a peanut butter and jelly for lunch. And all of a sudden your heart senses a gladness and a burning and a love of God. And you're like, Jesus, I feel your presence right now. Like what's going on? Like, I have less than I did before, and yet I feel more alive than it's life that's really life. And your heart starts to long for heaven when Jesus said, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I go to prepare a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, what's it going to look like? It depends on the building materials you send him. Every day of your life, you've got the chance to love your enemies, to be good to those who harm you, to share our stuff, to get loosed, to live light. This doesn't mean you can't have houses. It means don't let your houses have you. It doesn't mean you can't have cars. Like we we had a little accident in one of our cars recently and, and I just felt that gut. How do you know when something is too much of a treasure? And the answer is when your treasure gets threatened, it bothers you too much. I was talking to a guy about some money this week, and he's like, man, Mike, it's, it's just money. I was like, 
I said, hey, that's it. It's just, he's like, that's the right attitude. I pray some of you in this room and some of you online become billionaires one day. But when you do, you know it's a treasure when the moth eat it and you're like, oh, the moth ate the clothes. You know it's a treasure when like, oh, the, the, the rust ruined the metal. You know it's a treasure when someone steals it. Oh, someone stole. Paul said, I've counted everything as loss compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've counted everything as dung compared to knowing him. Because when heaven becomes the place of your treasure, Jesus becomes the, the highest treasure of your treasures. And you start longing for him more than a vacation in the Caribbean, more than a cruise, more than a car, more than a trophy, more than status, more than followers, more than, more than another property, another hotel, another house, another reading railroad. And there's nothing wrong with any of them as long as you're okay when someone steals you're like, you know what? It was the Lord's anyway. You could say, well, that sounds ridiculous. No, I know. I know it sounds ridiculous because we've been discipled by a culture that's tricked us. Do not store up treasure on earth. Do store up treasure in heaven. This is my ask this week. Where is your treasure? See, money reveals your heart. We know what your treasure, we know what you, where your heart is. I, I don't know, but I'm saying we can know because all we have to do is look at your Amazon bill. All we have to do is look at your visa bill. Look at your MasterCard. Look at your checkbook. The money trail does not lie. I worry for us sometimes when God bless, it, it, it's, it's tragic, it's hard because I'm preaching on money and, and trust me, in preacher circles, what they'll tell you is let people emphasize this, give and it will be given unto you. And there's truth in this. There is truth. It's called redemption and lift. That when you employ God's, his ways, he's going to bless you. It's totally true. Like you give, it, it is not just in heaven. There actually is stuff on earth. I'm emphasizing heaven today, but I got to tell you, the tragedy is I've watched myself at times. I've watched so many people that when God blesses them, it's, it's weird how the blessings of God actually can turn our hearts from the God who blessed us. You could say, Mike, what, what's the answer to this? Give, share, open hand. When, when you do have the blessing of a, when, when, you, when your car hits another car, stop calling it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is rooting that junk out of you. Woo! The car got hit. Yes, Jesus, thank you. That sounds crazy. Wouldn't it be nice that when you're like, wait, Lord, you got me. I mean, here's the bottom line. I have friends that if I ever needed something, I know I could go to them and say, could you hook a brother up? We're not going to make it. I'm, church, you're in a church where we help each other. I mean, literally, microchurches in our church. Someone's car goes out. We've had people like take, here's who I love. Families that have Teslas, I've seen them take their keys, their Tesla keys. Here, take it as long as you want. If you're going to have a Tesla, have a Tesla like that. God gives you a nice house. Jesus said, when you throw a party, make sure the vulnerable, the poor, the needy, single moms, the broken. I, I got no problem with a good house. Just please tell me your good house won't only have people with other good houses in it. Please tell me your stuff is like, I, man, I pray that God blesses the, the heaven into all of you guys. But when it happens, what I'm praying is that your treasure won't be on earth. And the way you know is when someone needs to needs to borrow your stuff, or touches your stuff, or moths eat your stuff, or thieves steal your stuff, 
or Russ Kuroger stuff. What happens in your heart, that tells you where your heart's at. See, money reveals my heart, but money also moves my heart. So use it. Money moves my heart. I wish I had a heart for the homeless. I'll tell you how you can. Go to the grocery store right after service. Stockpile your car where at all times you've got food to hand to homeless people. Good food. Good stuff. Get like $15 beef jerky. You're like, ah, oh, I'm going to give them like a granola bar. Great. Uh, whatever. What I'm saying is do whatever you, what you feel called to do. Well, Mike, how much should I? How much should we give? Well, we look at our king. Our king is our measuring stick. My king, we sing about it today. He's generous. He's sacrificial. I'm saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I, I have redemption because of the generosity of God. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I hear all the people, like all the debating about, well, should we tithe? Should we not tithe? There's a 10%. I can tell you this. Whatever you're giving it is, if we follow Jesus, it's going to be sacrificial. Not just at church. I'm saying on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays and with, with friends and with family and with, with poor people, with middle-income people when you're at restaurants, when you're wherever you go in, the, in line at Publix, that wherever you are. See, money not only reveals my heart, my money, it moves my heart. It's weird. I spend my money toward, like, I know people hate, some people hate Christmas. One reason I love Christmas is my kids, they buy presents for each other. These little children that can act like monsters, and they're, like, fighting with their siblings, the fighting stops when you, st- like, when you give gifts to people, you can't be mad at someone you're blessing. Because Jesus is the one that, he's the one that gave the word. Your heart will follow your money. The good life needs a good heart, and the good heart always follows your money. This week, we, we have a septic tank in our yard, and it's been backing up for, a long, for months and months and months. So we have a septic tank. And so there, there's this pool in our front yard. And so our neighbors are like, hey, you guys got a problem. And it really smells bad. I'm like, oh. So we've been putting it off for like a year and a half. And so, I mean, it's, it's not been horrible, just that there's like, you could fish in our front yard, right? So, um, so this past week, we had to, we had to up, anyway, like this, we were able to get it done to where my yard was torn up, but we had to get out of our house for a couple of days. And so I'm like, oh man, so we went to, we have a bunch of people. So it's not like, you know, because sometimes people are like, hey, would you like to come to our house? We have an extra bed. I'm like, we have like a tribe. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we're not... So we went and got this hotel, not the most expensive hotel there ever was. And so, so we're there, and it's one of those hotels where, the, where, where the, it makes a lot of noise. Like the, the AC goes on and off, you know, and it makes a lot of noise. And Ruthie looks at She's like, Michael, is that, is that chewing gum all over the walls? I'm like, no, I'm sure it's just how they hang things here, you know. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Wasn't the nicest hotel you could ever stay in. We were only there two nights, so this is not a big deal. We had to get two rooms, you know, so this is like total first world problems, right? But here's the catch. I could have gone and spent a bunch of money to make this temporary stay in this hotel better. I didn't spend much money at all in that hotel. Why? Because it's not my home. I spent some. I went and got some snacks. We made ourselves comfortable. Brought a few pillows. We did a few minor improvements around the hotel for two nights. I'm not against you living your life on this earth. But someone's got to remind you often enough, this is not the place that's worthy of wasting all your treasure. 
because there's a home that's coming. And when the septic tank gets fixed and you lay back down in your bed, you're going to want to be in the place where you're going to be forever. All I'm saying, church, go to lunch. Have a good time at lunch. Jesus has actually even made it to where you could like have a meal and you're sharing with someone else and you're enjoying it and you're also storing up treasures in heaven and your heart starts to follow and something starts. And, but, but, if, but if you miss it, you're, you're just going to miss too much because this life is not all there is. Do not store up treasure on earth. Do store up treasure in heaven because there's a lesson we get from Monopoly. <laughs> James Dobson's the guy that originally told this story, but... I was reading this week a man who was saying, I learned how to play Monopoly from my grandmother. She was a wonderful person, raised six children. She was a widow by the time I knew her, but she was the most ruthless Monopoly player you've ever met. She understood that the name of the game was to acquire, and when she played and I got my initial money from the bank, I would just try to hold on to my money as much as I could because I didn't want to lose any of it. But my grandma, she would spend everything. She bought stuff she landed on. As soon as she accumulated it, she would, she would just go. And, and as the game goes on, she would keep score in the game, possessions because they're a matter of survival. And every time we played, my grandmother would beat me. And at the end of the game, she would look at me and say, one day you're going to learn how to play this game. She was kind of cocky, my grandmother was. But when I was about 10, I played every day through the summer holidays with a friend. And it dawned on me that the only way to win was total commitment to acquisition. And that summer, I learned how to play the game. And by the time autumn rolled around, I was more ruthless than even my grandmother. I went to play her, and I was willing to do anything to win. I was willing to bend the rules. I played with sweaty palms. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's weakness. Relentlessly, I drove her off the board. It happened right around Marvin Gardens. But this game does things to you that change you. I still remember the day like it was yesterday. I looked at my grandmother. She's the one that taught me to play. She was an old woman by now. She was a widow. She had raised my mother. She loved me. She loved my mom. And I took everything she had. <laughs> I destroyed her financially, psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And it was the greatest day of my life. And then she had one more lesson to teach me, my grandmother. She said to me, now, one more thing you need to know. It all goes back in the box. Every 500, every 100, every 20, every 50, at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. All the houses, all the hotels, all the railroads, all the utility companies, all that wonderful money, it all goes back in the box. He says, but I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave the board out permanently. I wanted to maybe bronze it for, as a memorial for everyone to know what I've achieved. But she said, you see, it all goes back in the box. It was a way of saying to me, none of it was really yours to begin with. It doesn't belong to you, and you don't own it anyway. You just used it for a little while, and now it goes back in the box. And the next time, it's all going to be in someone else's hands. That's the way the game works. So when you play the game, don't forget this one lesson. When the game comes to an end, and the game always comes to an end, it all goes back in the box. And church, I, 
I want to get us ready for what Jesus said when he's like, there's going to come a day when you're going to be an actual owner of real stuff. Down here, you're just a money manager for a little while of stuff that's not really yours. It's all God's. But there's coming a day when you're going to get stuff that's actually yours and a home that's eternal. Jesus is doing the building, but you're doing the sending of the building materials with your deeds. We're not saved by good works, but but our houses in the future and our rewards of the future are being prepared for good works. We're not saved by good, but by giving. But our hearts are moved by our giving. And, and if you want a heart for heaven, then put your treasure in heaven. Jesus said, live light, beware, be on guard. Don't live in a way where this world is going to get a hold of you because it always has a way of getting a hold. And it's all going to go back in the box because Jesus is where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. And so Jesus tells this parable. This is how I end it, and we're going to take communion. It's the Middle East. It's a hot day. A man's walking. Got his staff in hand, walking home from a long day, long travel. His tunic is stained with sweat. His brow is going like this. And all of a sudden, he hits this thud and hears a noise that catches his attention. He keeps on walking because he's tired, but he can't get away from that thud. He goes back and hits it down again, and he reaches around and and realizes there's something under the The dirt, Jesus says, as he pulls apart some of the weeds and overgrowth and grass and hits it again and starts to try to yank it out, but he can't. He just to dig, and next thing you know, he realizes there's a box underground. And He's tired. He wants to get home, but his curiosity gets the best of him, and he finally takes the staff and opens the box. And inside the box, he sees a treasure that's been sitting there probably for maybe a century from the best he could tell, as someone must have died back in the day. This was how people would keep their security for the future. They didn't have bank accounts and 401ks. They got treasures and they hid them in places where only they knew where they were. Someone died, never got it. And all of a sudden it hits them. Whoever owns this field has no clue that they're sitting on an absolute treasure. And that's when the idea comes. He closes up the box. He covers it back up. And a joy hits him, a gladness hits him, a, a, a skip in his step starts to come. as he's like, wait a minute, I, I think I have enough money. If I sold everything I have, I could buy this field. And if I get, whoever gets the field gets the box, gets the treasure. And he, and, he, and he runs and he goes back and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure and who for the joy of acquiring sells everything he has to buy the field to get the treasure. That's what the kingdom of God is like. This is what I'm telling you, friends. There is a treasure under this dirt that it's worth giving everything you've got for this. When Jesus said to a rich man, sell all that you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. What he's saying is, don't you get it? The treasure of heaven is so much better. But here's the problem. You'll never see the treasure until you see the gospel isn't just that God's asking you to give up everything for him. The gospel and the message of Jesus is the only message where he gave it up for you. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a God with a staff in his hand like a good shepherd comes to the dirt of this earth until he finds a thud called you. And who for the joy set before him of the treasure of you gave up all that he had so that he could acquire you. Where he goes up on a cross and he pays for our sins. He gives up the status and the wealth and the streets of gold and the rivers and and the pleasures of heaven to come to earth to become a peasant to give up everything for what? For his treasure, which was you. And it's not until you look in the eyes of the one 
who has made you his treasure that I think you ever make him yours. But that's what he did on the cross. Despite my sin and my lust and my pride and my rebellion, he went and he paid the price that I should have paid to make me his treasure. He died on a cross and he rose from the dead and he speaks the truth. Don't live for this dirt. Live for my kingdom and you'll never have regrets. 